God's love be with all of you this evening. I encourage you to look in Luke 15, and there you will find our sermon text. Luke chapter 15, we'll look at verses 1 and 2, and then jump down and do 11 to 32. As you know, we've been in a series in the Gospel of Luke, which begins with Luke telling us that he wrote this so that those who love God will know the certainty of the things that they believe. And we've been learning with more and more certainty who Jesus is and why it's important for us to follow him. Well, tonight is no different. Jesus teaches one of the best known parables in all of the world. Everyone has heard something about this parable. And tonight the challenge will be to listen to the word of God preached to us uh, with fresh ears and new eyes. And hopefully we will see some new truth in this parable, perhaps something we have not seen before. But my hope and prayer is that it will be something that we need to hear tonight. And so my prayer is that God's spirit will take his word to you and empower you to believe the gospel with all of your heart. Let us pray together. Oh, God, we thank you for this privilege of gathering to hear the word of God proclaimed to us as we listen to the word of Jesus Christ. I pray that your spirit will open our hearts and minds to receive this truth by grace through faith. We thank you for those who are gathered here and ask your richest blessings upon them. Speak to this congregation of your people. Even now, speak to us, Christ, by your spirit and through your word and through the pastor who speaks. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. 
And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching and the hearing of his word and all the church says. You may be seated. When I was a teenager attending a church not very far from here, it seemed like the preacher was always preaching on the parable of the prodigal son. I don't recall any of the specifics of any of the sermons, but I'm thankful to God that he made this parable stand out to me in my life. I once heard a preacher at a gospel meeting shout, this man receiveth sinners. And then he launched into a sermon on this text. Somehow this story strikes a nerve with people of all stripes. You can find it everywhere. It shows up in music, in the music of the Rolling Stones and U2 and Mumford and Sons. It shows up in novels like A River Runs Through It or Gilead. It shows up in movies like Terrence Malick's epic film, The Tree of Life. Everyone seems to know something about the parable of the prodigal son. Over the course of my ministry, just with you, not even the whole ministry, but just with you, you can see that this parable has been foundational to things that we've done here. It was one of the first texts that I ever preached when I was called to be the pastor of this church. Some of you might remember all those years ago when we spent time in and around Luke 15. It didn't hurt that in those days, Tim Keller had just released Prodigal God and we made good use of his book and DVD. Over the years, I've reflected on this parable from different angles, and I'm struck by the fact that I've connected with different characters in the parable in different ways. When I was a younger man, I connected with the younger brother who went to a faraway land, for I had moved far away and lived in a far country. When I became a little bit older and a little bit more settled in my theological convictions, I'm ashamed to confess that I connected more with the older brother. Because in my heart, I felt arrogant and bitter and critical towards other younger brothers who didn't quite get it theologically like I did. 
And now, as a father of young adult sons and daughters, I feel a little more connected to the father in this parable than ever before. Somewhere along the line, uh, it dawned on me that the parable is not just a parable about the brothers. I think it was N.T. Wright and Tim Keller who helped me see that the parable is probably more about the father than anyone else. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. You see, in the parable, Jesus pointing us to the father as the gravitational center of the story. If you take the father out of this story, the story unravels and falls apart. If you leave out the father, in fact, you have no story at all. The thing Jesus wanted his hearers who happen to be critics of his ministry to understand is that God the father is the real prodigal in the story. Not prodigal because he went far away, but prodigal because, as the word actually means, he is the most extravagant and lavish character in all of this story, as I hope you will see this evening. There are four truths about God our Father that I want you to get your hearts and minds around this evening. And very simply put, I want you to know that God our Father is generous, He is gracious, He is gregarious, And he is glorious. And these are the four things we'll look at this evening. The father is generous. After the younger son wasted his life on reckless living, he finally came to his senses. And you notice that when he came to his senses, his thoughts were turned to his father. The kind of person his father is, the kind of work that he did. And he realized that his father was a kind and generous man, that his father had given him everything. And in response, he had given his father nothing but grief. And knowing how generous his father was, this man decides to go and throw himself on the mercy of his father. We see the father's generosity throughout the story. We see it when the father gave both of their sons their share of the inheritance. He divided his life between them, his property between them. We see the father's generosity in the middle of the story when he gives his lost son hugs and kisses and jewelry and clothing and then throws a banquet for him. And we even see the generosity of the father at the end of the story when the father threw a massive party for his whole family and called his elder son to come join and even reminded his elder son that everything he has belongs to the son. I am yours. My stuff is yours. Whatever you're doing, And wherever you are, no matter if you're nearby or far away, I want to encourage you to stop and think about all that God the Father has given to you. Think of how He's been generous to you. Too many of us complain about our lot in life. We grumble about what we don't have. We wonder why God doesn't give us something more or something better or something different. Instead, what we ought to do is praise God for what he has freely given us, what he has freely given us. In his common grace, he gives even his servants rain and sunshine and daily bread. How much more does the father give his sons and daughters through his saving grace? He gives us far more 
The scriptures tell us that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That according to his great mercy, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has caused us to be born again into a living hope and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And the scriptures also say that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So the next time you feel like grumbling or complaining, remember that God the Father is gracious towards you and he has withheld no good thing from you. Just consider how generous the Father is and be thankful. Second thing, the Father is gracious. The Father is gracious. The father was generous and gracious towards both of his sons in this story. When the young son asked for his share of the property, he was in effect telling his father, I hate you and I wish you were dead. But when that young son returns to his father's house, the father says to him, in effect, I love you and I am so happy that you are alive again. When the older son complained that his father never did anything special for him, he was in fact telling his father, you're cheating me out of something that you owe me, something that I deserve. But when the father went out to beg him to join the party, he was telling his son, son, we have each other. Life is a gift. All is grace. And so we see in this that the father is gracious. One of the most remarkable things to me about this story is that through it all, no matter what the sons were doing, the father never stopped loving his sons. He never stopped loving his sons. He never gave up on them. He kept watching and waiting and willing their return. The father loved them both. And when I say the father loved them both, I want you to understand what I mean when I say that. The father loved the immoral son and the moral son. He loved the nearby son and the far away son. He loved the irresponsible son and the responsible son. He loved the straight son and the crooked son. He loved the libertine and the legalist. These were his sons and the father loved them both. Jesus makes it clear that he felt compassion and concern for both of them. He comforted one. He counseled the other. He gave a few gifts to one. He gave everything to the other. And above all, the father gave himself to his sons. He gave them his life. More importantly, he gave them his very own heart. So the father was generous and gracious toward both sons. And yet both sons tested the limits of God's love for them, of their father's love for them, I should say. And you know that we do the same with our father, don't we? We test the limits of his love for us. I felt this way at times, and I know some of you have as well, but we wonder, what would I have to do? How far would I have to go to get beyond the reach of the father's love for me? What is the boundary? Where is the edge? 
And we play those kinds of games, but you know, none of us really want to find out where that is, do we? We're hoping that something stops us before we get there. But I do want to say to you, if you're wondering how far you have to go to get beyond the reach of the Father's love for you, the answer is there is no place that far. There is no place that far. No matter how far you've drifted or wandered or traveled, no matter how close you've stayed to home, if you turn around at any point in your journey, you will see exactly what the young brother saw. You will see the father running to you. Not with anger and rage in his eyes. You will see the father running to you with love in his eyes. Running to greet you, to embrace you, to kiss you, to welcome you back home. Just this past week, I read a true story about a young woman who grew up in a Christian home. And who, for a variety of reasons, detached from her family and began to live wheels off, riding a crazy train. She made a mess of her life. She describes herself as a real life prodigal and said she was that way for many years until a personal tragedy struck in the form of a serious illness that incapacitated her and left her desperate, so desperate that she finally called home to her family for help. Her family lived in Michigan. She was in Texas. So here's what she says. My dad flew to Dallas from Michigan and picked up a car from a friend to drive down to where I was living. Less than an hour outside of the city, the car he was driving broke down, but nothing was going to stop my dad from getting to me. I will never forget the words he said to me as he sat in the Greyhound station waiting on his bus to drive him to San Marcos. I will get to you, court. If I have to walk there, I will get to you. And it's a moving story, but I want you to know that that's the way God the Father feels about you. He will get to you. Only he does much more than just call or walk. He comes running. He will get to you. As the scripture says, God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And he will also with Jesus graciously give us all things. God the Father is gracious in that way. And so gracious that no matter how much offense, no matter how much shame, no matter how much grief we've brought to him. The moment we turn and cry out for help, he comes running. And he will get to you. Third thing I want you to see is the father is gregarious, gregarious. It's a word we don't use very much, but I learned it in a movie about Jesse James, and I've loved using it ever since. Gregarious. A gregarious person is someone who seeks the company of others and enjoys enjoys being with others without showing partiality or favoritism. The thing I want you to see is that God the Father is not as stern and stoic as you might imagine him to be. You see in the parable that he enjoys throwing parties and sharing life with other people, especially his family, especially his children. So here the father gathers his family and friends to eat and drink and to be merry, to crank up the band and to dance the night away. He gathers everyone to celebrate and rejoice. And what are they celebrating? What are they rejoicing? 
It's not just the return of a son, although it is that, but it's the reality that goes with it, that there is life after death, that there is salvation after destruction, that there is paradise after exile. This is a picture of Jubilee. We've been saying it week in and week out, but this is Jubilee. It's a picture of recovery, renewal, release and rejoicing. It's a picture of what happens when God's grace and favor break into a person's life. And at this feast of Jubilee, you have the forgiveness of sins, the cancellation of debts and the release from the bondage. All being celebrated with lots of food, lots of drink, lots of music, and lots of dancing. Sounds like a great place to be, doesn't it? This is the heavenly festival that awaits all, even you, who turn back and thrust themselves on the mercy of the Father. This is the kind of thing that brings the Father much joy. This is the kind of thing that moves Him to rejoice And to display his love. As the scripture says. Jesus says. There will be more joy in heaven. Over one sinner who repents. Than over 99 righteous persons. Who need no repentance. There is joy before the angels of God. Over one sinner who repents. And I want to remind you. Or point out to you here. That the joy in heaven. Before the angels of God. Is not the joy of the angels. Not even the joy of the saints, but it is the joy of God who stands before the angels. It's the joy of the father embracing and kissing and welcoming his sons and daughters back home. You've been gone for too long. The grief has passed. The mourning is over. And now there's comfort and joy. And this is all flowing from God the Father out to His family. The fourth thing I want you to see is that the Father is glorious. The Father is glorious. I've said at the beginning, and I'll say it again, the parable centers on the Father. He is the gravitational center around which the whole story revolves. He is the maker and the owner of the estate. He is the originator of all things. He is the paterfamilias. Everything in the parable is connected to him and related to him, especially the sons. They have no life apart from their father. And yet when you look at those sons, the parable seems to indicate that there was some sort of jealousy or rivalry between the two brothers. I heard a song recently that made me think of these things and what the younger brother might have been singing as he thought about his place in the family and his life. The Avid brothers have a great song about murder in the city. And some of you know the line that says, I wonder which brother is better. Which one our parents love the most? I sure did get in lots of trouble. They seem to let the other go. A tear fell from my father's eyes. I wondered what my dad would say. He said, I love you. And I'm proud of you both in so many different ways. This is the glory of the Father demonstrated in His love for His sons. Demonstrated in His love for His sons. Not good sons. Bad sons. Broken sons. 
sinful sons. The Father loved and blessed both of them in so many different ways, each according to His own particular needs. So even though both sons dishonored Him, took advantage of Him, and used Him, even though they cared more about His gifts and His stuff and His things than they cared about Him, He was gracious and merciful towards them, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You notice in the parable that the father looked for both of his sons and found them. And the father took away their shame and their sorrow. And the father lavished his grace and mercy on both of his sons and was willing to forgive both of them. The father treated both of his sons as sons, even though both of his sons were sinners. And did you notice in reading the parable that there is no point... Anywhere in the story at which which either one of these sons ceased to be the father's children. They were always his children. They never ceased to be his sons. And you know, the same goes for you and me. The scriptures say, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And it is through the Spirit of God that we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. The Father doesn't love you because of anything good or bad that He sees in you. The Father loves you only because of His grace for His glory. And that is for your good. Now, we might be tempted to focus on the sons and on their particular stories. And there's a time and place to do that. But the thing I want to encourage you to do is focus on the father. Focus on the father and fall down in praise of his glorious, generous, gracious love for you. For he does love you. And he is worthy of Glory because he is glorious. As it is written, there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist. There is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. To our God and Father be glory forever. And so we are called to give praise and honor and glory to the Father who is worthy of all glory and praise. Well, Jesus told this parable in response to critics who complained that this man receiveth sinners and eats with them. But he wasn't just taking shots at them. He wanted them to hear the gospel of Jubilee. He wanted them to hear about God's grace and mercy. So the parable is for all of you religious sinners out there who might have acted like older brothers and stayed close to home. The parable is also for all of you tax collectors and sinners out there who might have acted like younger sons and gone far away. The parable is also for all of you siblings who have brothers or sisters who have left the father's house and abandoned the faith, or maybe they just stayed home and they've gone through the motions 
The parable is also for all of you parents who have sons or daughters who have gone far away from the Father and left the faith for lesser things. Now, I don't say those things to discourage any of you, but to encourage you. Encourage you with the good news. And the good news is that the Father is generous and gracious and glorious. The thing I want you to know is that the Father is waiting for you, for them, and for us. The Father is waiting and watching for you, for them, and for us. So if you're far away, come home. If you're nearby, come home. That's where you belong. If you're concerned about loved ones who have gone away to the far country and you wonder, will they ever make it back? What is my responsibility towards them? How should I treat them? What should I do? Let me say to you, don't you ever give up on them. Don't you ever give up on them. Until the Father does. If and when He gives up on them, then you can give up on them. But until then, watch and wait with the Father. Watch and wait with the Father. And when they come home, welcome them with open arms and hugs and kisses and joyful songs and parties. If you're beat down and broken, come home. If you're weak and weary, come home. If you're hungry and thirsty, come home. If you're lost and lonely, come home. And you will find a table of grace prepared for you. Comfort food. To fill your heart, to heal your wounds, a place to rest your soul. As Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said, Slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. God can run where we can scarcely limp, and if we are limping towards Him, He will run towards us. Whether you're nearby or far away, come home. Come as you are, but come home.